Welcome to Antimatterpod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week, we're talking about bisexuality in Star Trek. Uh, can I just say that, like, this idea has been kicking around for a really long time, and Star Trek has changed enough since we started this podcast that this was originally just titled The Mirror Universe Rant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which, you know, it's no. a good thing that there is more to talk about. 100%. <laughs> but I still kind of feel like like this idea came up again, and my first reaction was, there's bisexuality in Star Trek now? <laughs> Wait, what? They, they have that? It was only, mm. what, 2017? When did Discovery come out? 2016? 17. Yeah, that we had any queer people? non-heterosexuality. I guess, I guess, Beyond Star Trek Beyond was the the first sort of nod to the idea. Yes, of, and it was uh, very non-straight people. Very blink and you'll miss it. Mustn't yes. offend. Sort of, de- sort of uh, depiction. And don't get me wrong, I think it's cool that Chekhov, uh, Chekhov, Sulu has a husband. <laughs> and a daughter and I think that adds a lot to his character and I understand George Takei was like I put a lot of effort into playing a straight guy and now <laughs> but I also think it's a different universe maybe maybe Sulu was by. well according to Emperor Philippa in her universe everyone is pansexual that is is good on one side in that we can assume that there's differences across these but it's also sort of that goes back to shining a spotlight on the fact that the mirror universe is the most Mm. uh, non-heterosexual and that's a problem i also feel like are paul and hugh really pansexual in the mirror universe or is it simply that pansexuality is a default there the way heterosexual heterosexuality is a default here and so regardless of what your real feelings may be regardless of what you personally would like to consent to you're kind of thrust into this default yes scenario and because the mirror universe is not really a consent happy place yeah we don't know when she met up with paul and hugh Mm. so if she was already the emperor or even you know in any high position of authority like they're gonna tell her anything other than what she wants to hear exactly exactly this is what i mean that even even if someone seems to be consenting in the mirror universe the very nature of their society makes it really really hard to trust that which is tragic i love it but it's (laughs) tragic but it kind of means that we look at the whole of mirror universe sexuality and go uh, it is not good that this is where most of our bisexual rep comes from. Yep, yep, it's a problem. It really plays into the stereotypes. Yes. Of predatory. Yes. Yeah, predatory. And that is, no matter what they do going forward, they've done a lot of work. Discovery mm. has done a lot of work to try to fix the mirror universe to a certain extent i was listening to our edith keeler episode mm-hmm. and 
my brother said, he, he said, hey, what if the universe they create by allowing Edith Keeler to live and then the Nazis win mm. is, is the mirror universe? <laughs> and I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> so, I love it. Uh, so, you know, and we, we just had this, this, isn't it fun to think of how, you know, one, that one thing of saving the, the pacifist can yes. create the exact opposite of what she wants. And so that was a, you know, that was a, a fun looking back on conversation. And mm. now whenever, you know, so that was like, what, a week ago. So it's, it's all I'm thinking about when, uh, when I, I think of the mirror universe, or I watch some clips for this to try to sort of I didn't watch the whole episodes, but no. I did watch just the, you know, Major Kira prancing around and the Ezri stuff. I'm really, because I love Ezri so much and mm -hmm. I would love for Ezri to be bisexual. Yes. And the implication, okay, this is where I confess that I did not watch anything <laughs> for this episode and I have not seen most of the DS9 Mirror Universe episodes because when I finally sat down to watch the whole series, I was just like, I hate what they did with the Mirror Universe. I'm not going to mm -hmm. watch those. So I have not seen Mirror Ezri, but my understanding is that she's actually a lesbian in the Mirror Universe or at least yes. her preference or, or is very again. much for women. Yeah. Mm. Which Ezri, you know, she was brought in, the the series was already ending when she started, yeah. so there was really no excuse for not just making her a lesbian, if that's what you wanted to do. And right. instead, she hooks up with Worf, she hooks up with Bashir, and, like, yeah. uh, Jake has a crush on her, like, everybody, she's just super... It's just, it's weird to have, we're going to replace Jadzia with another Jadzia. Well, <laughs> she has a much more defined personality than Jadzia because Jadzia's personality <laughs> is basically Curzon's. But yeah. That's true. Hmm. Uh, I Interesting. mean, we could do a whole episode on the Jadzia problem, but yeah, it just, it just feels like DS9 did so much damage to the depiction of the mirror universe and most of it was this kind of male gazy uh queerness but only women kissing women you know we didn't have mirror cisco like while the women were kissing women cisco was you know working his way through all of the women characters on yeah the show. yeah and he sleeps with jazia by lying about his identity the same way that Lorca does to cat and I don't want to say that Cisco is a rapist the way Lorca is a rapist, but that is not a good storytelling choice. That is not a high point for a character that I generally quite like. I don't think when they were making those episodes they considered any of these questions at all. No, absolutely not. And the idea of rape by deception is relatively new. So I completely understand that it's a product of its time, but at the same time it didn't so much have to be, you know. Mm. Uh, yeah. Everything about the Mirror Universe in Deep Space Nine makes me uncomfortable. I agree. Circling back to it, so the, the fact that they put the Guardian of Forever into Philippa's story yes. is is uh, is proof that obviously my brother and I are correct about the origin of the Mirror Universe. Obviously. Um, and, and when they're like, oh, our senses say there's literally nothing out there. Well, their senses just weren't very good. I mean, it was the 2360s. They barely had Wi-Fi. <laughs> 
Exactly. So Discovery has done all of this groundwork to try to walk back, I guess, what, like, you know, the original series introduced the Mirror Universe mm. as this violent place that had a, you know, sort of people were more sexual, they were more openly sexual, and... Captain's Woman is a legitimate position right. of power. Captain's Woman... <laughs> I uh, like there's a there's a whole there's lots plenty of things wrong with that but it wasn't the way that Deep Space 9 did it. Deep Space 9 sort of took that creepy beginning and made it kind of campy, kind of like you know, discotech. Yeah. Evil. Yeah. And and then Enterprise is just painful because Mirror Hoshi gets more character more of a character arc mm. than Hoshi does in the entire series. And yet And yet it's all bad. <laughs> There's nothing good there. So so it's just uh it's a very spotty idea and um if and I think I'm on the record for being very you know worried about the uh the Marion feet first being such a big part of discovery yes they've repaired a lot of the damage that ds9 did but we still don't have a single bisexual character on discovery who is not from the mirror universe right and i'm just i'm going to use bi and pan interchangeably because i think in this context when we're talking about aliens and species with multiple genders and so forth it, it's just yes. going to work for me as a shorthand. So I apologize I mean, if that's annoying to anyone. I love that Philippa used the word pansexual. Absolutely. In Star Trek, on screen. When, mm. you know, that was that was a, a watershed moment for like for Trek as a as a pop culture phenomena, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um because it pansexual is still something that people you know, I mean, bisexual, bisexuality too, but I think that people have come to, they understand the concept of bisexual, even Generally, if they don't yes. agree that it exists or whatever, but pansexual is still, still new. Mm. Like, you know, it's one of those, I feel seen. Yeah, moments. yeah. <laughs> but again, where uh, are the rest of the pansexuals? Right. But we need, we need, and now that, now that Philippa has left... Right. It'll be harder for that to come up in conversation. I, I, you know, not to <laughs> skip to the end of your uh, notes, but organically. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm, I, I'm concerned again. Now I'm concerned mm -hmm. that the mirror, mm -hmm. now I'm concerned that the mirror universe is not a part of discovery. <laughs> no, no, I agree, and. All we have with Discovery are headcanons. And it is absolutely my headcanon that Michael is the only heterosexual on, on the USS Discovery. And even Book <laughs> has some boyfriends in his past. But that's not canon. Like, no. Yeah. That's the thing about headcanon versus canon. I I say your all your headcanons are valid. Everybody out there, your headcanons are completely valid. However, they are not on screen. And right. so they are not canon, they are not explicitly true to the history of the show. 
Exactly, exactly. Like, I hate to break it to you guys, but Kirk is not canonically bisexual. Right. It's Kirk is a, a fun one because there's even sort of, if you take the, well, the, the actor can, can tell me, there are two actors who played <laughs> Kirk and they have wildly different opinions on this. Uh, and so you know, I don't really care what the actors say. If No, that's not true. If I like what the actor says, I'm totally <laughs> on board with it. And if I don't like what the actor says, then it's a case of the author is dead. So, you know. It's, it, is a, it is one of those things, though, where when you don't have it explicit, it's not like Kirk goes around telling people, hey, I'm straight either. No, you know, he doesn't, no. he doesn't have, have a blinking sign that says he's heterosexual. So it's our, it's our perception. Right. And, and then something like Chris Pine saying in an interview that he considers Kirk to be, uh, to be pansexual. I think he actually used the word pansexual wow. and played it that way. Like, that's great. But so, but, you know, that brings us back to George Chakay mm. saying, hey, I was playing Sulu straight. So what are you doing to me? You know? Yeah, yeah. And also that's a generational thing. And, you know, Takei was closeted when TOS was being made. Mm -hmm. And he comes from a generation where representation of sexuality is not really a priority. And I respect that. Obviously, I disagree, but I understand where he's coming from. And that he started out in a space where it was absolutely unsafe for him to be an openly gay man in Hollywood. And even, yeah. even now, you know, just a couple of years ago, there was a sort of half-baked Me Too claim against Takei. And it turned out to be more of a, a genuine misunderstanding in a cons context where the culture did not allow for open talk about consent. And therefore, people ended up on different pages. And that's the sort of damage that a homophobic society can do. So I, I do, I deeply empathize with Takei's position. I just mm -hmm. disagree with it. So that's why it has to be on screen. It has to be in the text. It can't be subtext yeah. anymore. Like, right, right. That's, that's great. Subtext is great. And, you know, I, I look forward to the day when heterosexual isn't the default. Yes where heteronormative relationships entirely are is not the default yeah exactly but until we're there we we can't have that you can't say well obviously this character is bisexual you just you just didn't know they just never said so it's mm -hmm. like the dumbledore problem right 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 <laughs> obviously dumbledore is gay even mm -hmm. though i wrote you know, a million words and never used that one. I really think it's a mistake to look to JKR for any sort of representation of any sort of queerness. She's just the, that's the most, Dumbledore is the most famous. My friend, yeah. uh, Sam, friend yes. of the podcast. Hi, Sam. Uh, she, she calls it uh, Sutherlanding instead of Dumbledoring because mm -hmm. Serena Sutherland uh, precedes Dumbledore by a few years. So that's the character in Law and Order where, you know, they have a, re a revolving cast. Yes. And uh, specifically, Jack McCoy has, you know, had a string of young, pretty ADAs under his mm. supervision. But one of them, Serena Sutherland, who is not popular, she's probably the least popular of all of Jack's ADAs, mm. And all of Law and Order ADAs, for that matter, 
as she was leaving, her last line in the in the series, her very last line is, because she's fired. She's fired by uh, Fred Dalton Thompson, who mm. is like an evil Republican. Oh. Like in in real life, he was. He ran for president. Oh, but anyway, <laughs> so uh, he he fires her, and she says, "Is this because I'm a lesbian?" And it's like, and, wow, at the very and, least possible. There is, there is no subtext. There is nothing proceeding in the entire time she was there. There is not one hint of the possibility that she was a lesbian, and she is thrust into it and then again she's the least favorite mm. like she was basically kicked off the show for not being popular enough compared to all of the women before her right and and she's lesbian and and like mm. it's it's just rough it's rough it's so yeah so sam calls this southerlining when you in, when you as they're like after the fact you say yes. oh yeah that was definitely like that was my that was my like they sort of do this in in the uh, last uh star wars movie you know they have the lesbians kiss and yes. like the older lesbian there she was totally she had a speaking role <laughs> in the last jedi like yeah, she was yeah. there she was one of leia's little you know camaraderie and there was no hint <laughs> that she was a lesbian or that she had a girlfriend or any of that like it was it didn't exist until the last five minutes of the film right so, in another and, scene which can very easily be excised for some markets or if there's a backlash or whatever it's very half-hearted these are these are not like this is not good this mm. is not good representation and this it's is like, we do want casual background characters who are queer but not just one or you know one couple and not that cannot be the only queer representation in an entire right. franchise i will say yes that wolf entertainment yes the uh com the... company behind law and order yes and all the law and order franchises executive producer dick wolf yeah so executive producer dick wolf's empire now which is huge and spans mm. more than one uh, it, it's like on NBC and CBS. Yes, has a lot of queer characters in all of their uh, current shows. Well like, done, in him. all of their current shows. There is at least one uh, non-homosexual character, and non-heterosexual. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but my, like some of them have couples like you know it's like oh my gosh this is like yeah. an actual relationship like oh look here's a here's a family that that is just again there's no hint until you get that one that episode where like you know in the first season they introduce each character in a, in a different episode kind of mm -hmm. thing and then it's like hey this this person turns out is a lesbian and and has a family you know has a wife it's and it's this and then it does it does color what came before but mm. the the important thing is that then there's a whole you know there's 12 more episodes or right. another season of stuff and stories about these characters and it's not an afterthought and it's not sensationalized which is sort of how i see 
Jazia. Yes. It's interesting that cop shows seem to do this particularly well and <laughs> the whole so genre is so regressive in a lot of ways. And yet this, like one of the most iconic lesbian couples or, or lesbian characters of the early 2000s was Kima in The Wire and she's played by the same actor by the actress who plays Michael's mother now which is maybe why I thought of her uh, and the actress who played her partner was one of the admirals that Kat talks to in The War Without, The War Within. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that police dramas are so much better th- at this than science fiction where it's hypothetically so there are no limits. Should yeah. we talk about Jadzia? Yeah, because yeah. I get in trouble for this one all the time. I'm constantly being yelled at by people Ooh, do you who... have an op- unpopular opinion to share? I, I mean, yeah, yeah, sure. My unpopular opinion is that Jadzia and Lenara are not non-heterosexual representation. It's complicated, isn't it? <laughs> the episode, it's this episode taken by itself is yes. actually very beautiful. It's a it's a nice science fiction love story. And to be honest, I put off watching it for many years because I assumed that it would be really as trashy and exploitative as the promotion around it suggested. And it was a really beautiful love story that happened to take place in an alternate universe where there are queer relationships in Star Trek and no one bats an eyelid. Yeah. Like it's very much a bottle episode. Mm. And but it it does have the a whole arc of a relationship, you know. I, yeah. There's depth. There's depth to their relationship. Yeah. It's very well done for what it is. It's beautifully written and beautifully performed, but it's still very much about the fact that we love each other because we used to be husband and wife, not right. because we are queer women. Right. It's And it's also... There's a whole, like, it's not allowed. The whole, mm. which, <laughs> trill culture is a mess and <laughs> is not very well. There's a, there are a lot of continuity issues. I know, but I love, I love that they have this taboo because it makes sense for their society. And mm. it also works as a metaphor for homophobia. Whereas, like, the stuff about Bajoran religion in schools really didn't hold up for me because it did not make sense for Bajoran culture. Mm, that makes sense. So my so my issue is that it's it's like the it's representation of non heterosexuality in media. Yes, but it is not representation of non heterosexuality in Star Trek, because Jadzia is only queer for this one episode in this one very certain specific. Right. Situation. Right. It's like Jazia is not queer. <laughs> She's just not accepting her reality or something. Like she's yeah. she's just love is love is love is more important, which is like great. Again, great story, but it's just not representation when you say representation matters, like this isn't it. <sighs> Yeah, I agree. Part of the issue is that we never see Jadzia form another close connection with a woman ever, ever again. Mm-hmm. Like, she's... And she marries Worf, who is like toxic masculinity on parade. Especially in Deep Space Nine. Like, he is a much worse character in Deep Space Nine than he was in TNG. And I say that as someone who really likes Worf. <laughs> I just think that he, yeah, that he, he was... 
and it, they were they used him for a purpose and like there mm. were there were stories that, that they were telling that required him to be toxic masculinity on parade but, but he just is like yeah and also and that was a choice that they made and right so yeah so it's it's just so it seems if for me it feels like a slap in the face to be like i'm jadzia i'm gonna go from my lover who is a woman who is like the, a true love story and in, then you know i'm going to literally never mention that again and get married to Worf. Right, and the closest she ever comes to connecting with other women, she's sort of sometimes friends with Dax and they have a very cool relationship, but it's not remotely rom- Did I say friends with Dax? I meant friends with Kira. Yeah. Kira, you meant Kira. I did. I can totally read a relationship between Kira and Jadzia. Sure, Like, I but... can read into that. I can see that, but it's not there. Again, again, that's headcanon, not- not canon and likewise she's friendly with lita but not you never get the impression that they're super close and other than that it's just curzon's ex-girlfriends <laughs> because jadzia's personality is 100 percent curzon you have strong opinions about this yeah I, I we really <laughs> should do an episode on it but it's going to require me to watch a lot of jadzia episodes and it just makes me sad Oh, I'm sorry. I just think, you know, she could have been a really interesting character and they didn't know how to write her except as sort yeah. of a more scientific Troy and then the the key was to make her Curzon. And, yeah, I, I, I like Esri better because Esri doesn't make me sad except in the sense of sleeping with Bashir. <laughs> and, you know, haven't we all had relationships we wound up watching? Yeah, and they happen in the seventh season of Star Trek, so exactly. <laughs> it all works out. <laughs> like, but that was just the oopsie mm. relationship of mm. uh, um, Deep Space Nine. I also feel and, like. And... Sorry. No, I, I was just going to complain about how Julian is introduced drooling over Jadzia and the fact that he's. He's gifted Esri is really disturbing to me. Yeah, and it could have been interesting to explore that Esri is interested in him romantically, whereas Jadzia was not, and her own feelings <laughs> about that and her own experience of that. But no, we, we, we don't get happened. that. It's They're not that interested in Esri as a person. Right. Um, yeah, I was going to say... the. Jadzia as a Trill character, she gets a lot of, she sort of carries the burden for a lot of representation that she doesn't really meet. Like, oh, Jadzia is trans. Oh, Jadzia mm. is queer. And these things mm -hmm. are true to an extent. But like everyone passes around to that gif of the scene in Blood Oath where the Klingon is like, Curzon! And she's like, I'm Jadzia mm -hmm. now. Jadzia! And they don't <laughs> they don't point out or no, don't realise that he goes on to misgender her and deadname her for the entire rest of the episode. You're not supposed to remember that. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, so so there there are these things. That, that's what I mean. Where like that sent that sentence is mm. a is a great representation of trans in media. It yes. is not representation of trans in Star Trek because it is not integral to the character. Yes, yes. Whereas 
they never come out and say that Grey is trans, but he is played by a trans actor. Mm-hmm. And that is very, very important. But your other note here for the Trill problem is Beverly and Odam, which... Well, yeah. Beverly and Odan, the problem with that, like, I'm not angry with Beverly for being certain that she's mm. heterosexual. Look, straight That's people fine. do exist. It's yeah, terrible. Yeah, straight people exist. It's fine. It's but we good. can't stop them. That's a joke. Uh, or even if you want to, like, take her on face value and it's just too chaotic, that is seems pretty true to Beverly, actually. Right. Beverly doesn't like chaos and she doesn't like things she likes to have a plan and she likes to follow that plan through that's right. her character and so that's it's true to her and so i i don't have a problem with this happening but again it's one of those in the last five minutes of the episode mm. we get the idea of representation and it's pretty much shot down and that leaves sort of a sour taste it's just disappointing, and it feels like they they saw the logical conclusion of having a trill, and also they really needed to bring that relationship to an end because this is mm-hmm. TNG and Beverly can't <laughs> like, have a long-term, long-distance partner. And so they threw a woman in there. And then, then of course, you know, we cannot have queer people on Next Generation. What would Rick Berman say? Yeah. So... <laughs> I, in my, you know, I have my little bullet points on our outline mm-hmm. here, and the mirror universe problem, the trill problem, the canon problem. I it's, was going to put in Rick the Rick Berman problem. <laughs> I guess, like, you know what the real problem is? Right. It's so it's social biphobia and Rick Berman. So, uh, yeah. So yeah. there. The only real problem with the end of the host is that it's, it, yeah, it feels like it opens the door mm. for a lesbian relationship in Star Trek, and Beverly slams it shut. (laughs) Right. And like you say, it's fine if she's straight or if she's just too much of a control freak to open herself to Mm -hmm. this sort of situation. Those make sense. But it's that she speaks on behalf of all of humanity you know someday right. we'll be advanced enough <laughs> to deal with this and like i look at my friends and, and that's one of those like, yeah that's yeah. one of those lines where it was like okay they're trying to throw the queer community a bone to be like someday you'll be accepted but that's horrible <laughs> like that just don't just don't it's yeah. better to leave that unsaid than to mm. then to shine a light on the fact that you're not going to put a queer relationship in your show. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. you're, that, you know, someday we'll be accepting, but we're not right now. So right. don't expect it. <laughs> you know, Jadzia or Dax or, you know, any of the more sexually open women of Star Trek would have been totally up for that had, had it not been for the minor Rick Berman problem. Like, we know mm. this. So right, don't... right. Don't act as if you're speaking on behalf of all humanity, Bev. Right. Because it's just not. No. Just, 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 just not. And then the the reason where I, I fully and firmly believe that Beverly has this control freak problem, but she also, like, works with Will for, you know, mm. 
for what five more years or something yes (laughs) so it's sort of like yeah okay you you have this issue but it's also how can that not be awkward (laughs) and I just I just I have know. to believe that Will gave consent for this before he went <laughs> under because otherwise it's really awful. And we know, as the guys from The Greatest Gen often pointed out, uh, Will Riker is consent guy. Yeah. That's true. So maybe it will, like, Will, and when he comes out of it, you know, I just have so many questions. I'm a very, I'm very into, I'm very into the idea that Beverly and Will had a sexual relationship when he was not Will. Because, like, Jadzia has Curzon's memories, right? right. <laughs> so, so, like, there has to be, even if, you know, he's human and it doesn't work exactly the same, even if he just had a, a conversation with Troy after the fact and she was like, so, you know, I was definitely, like, convinced Beverly to to seduce you <laughs> while we were in 10 forward that one time <laughs> good on me right that was one of your <laughs> you know you can you can check that off your list like i don't know so something had to have happened maybe this is something that will and deanna worked out years and years and years ago <laughs> like he's like okay bucket list if i'm ever possessed you should totally feel okay to get one of our friends to to sleep with me like i am fully on board with that I mean, I can imagine it if Will Riker. That's why I put him on my list of canon problem people. <laughs> because Will Riker has a very open relationship with his sexuality. He does, and it's great because unlike, for example, early Tom Paris, he's generally not a sleaze about it. Like, there are points where the writing is a bit... But more often than not, he is just cool comfortable with his sexuality guy and he's masculine without being toxic right yeah he doesn't he doesn't parade around in his you know beating his chest in a klingon Mm. way Mm. unless unless he's with klingons who want him to do unless he was a klingons yeah i mean will riker is actually a great character i don't he's another one of those people where I, i think he's accidentally great yeah. They never they didn't go out of their way to make Will Riker a good character. He's no, just sort of no. there. They just they also lucked out with Jonathan Frakes. Who Jonathan like yeah, Jonathan Frakes really like put his all into what he was doing. And he was, because he's kind of the straight man, he was mm. the, he was but like a straight man but in the top tier, you know, of characters. Like they were able to put him in situations like, hey, we're going to put you on this Klingon ship and you're going to mm. have to you know, do Klingon stuff. And Frakes was all over that. And they, you know, they could, they could have these weird, even, you know, the, the, out, the outcast, which yes. is another like, woo, let's not even like kick that horn's nest. But, <laughs> you know, Jonathan Frakes really, put his all into that episode. And he was pushing for them to cast a man as Soren. Yeah. So he was, like, if we're going to re- to headcanon Will Riker as bisexual, and I absolutely think we should, then we have Jonathan Frakes to thank Jonathan Frakes does. <laughs> so there, there's just, like, there's all these situations where Riker, it, yeah, he's consent guy, and he is very comfortable in himself. He He doesn't 
mind casual relationships and he also doesn't mind uh deep relationships like mm. he does he goes both ways <laughs> that way as well and so it's just really he is such a good like if you're going to talk about headcanon as reality he is my like perfect pansexual in yeah. star trek because he is uh you know red-blooded american man who seems comfortable in whatever happens yeah yeah and i was just thinking like i feel like jadzia is the closest we get to a female version of that character but at the same time a lot of her relationships are either jokes like she's dating the guy with the transparent skull or they're they're, they're kind of male gazy or you just wonder why she's dies. Or they die, or they're just kind of boring, <laughs> or you just wonder why she's with this guy, like Worf. Again, I love Worf, but Deep Space Nine really destroyed a lot of what was good about his character. So, let's talk about Beckett Mariner. <sighs> I love her, <laughs> and I... I totally wanted her from the very first episode to be by and you know she brings up the sexy olympic team uh holodeck program and i i mm-hmm. looked for women and there weren't any and so it's interesting to me that mike mcmahon was called out for this and he's he did intend for beckett to be bisexual and i've dropped this whole big quote in here and, mm-hmm. and he said to Variety when they queried it, For me and the writers, as we were making this, we didn't intentionally mean for anybody to be strictly heteronormative or straight or cis. Here is the, the money quote. Every Starfleet <laughs> officer is probably at the baseline, bisexual, in a way. I love it. I'm just like, thank you. Thank, thank you, Mike. I love you. And then he goes on. That being said, I am not the most amazing person at writing those kind of stories. I think we get a little bit better about it in the second season. And I I respect him for admitting. Like, he then goes Mm -hmm. on to say, it's something I think we need to be better about. If there's anything I can say about inclusiveness, whether it's about sex or gender or race or anything, is that I know I can always learn more and be better about it and I'm always trying to do that. This is one of those cases where we could have done a better job of explicitly stating the things the writers always knew about Mariner. He's right. He is so right. And I'm just a <laughs> sucker for people admitting that they were wrong and that they want to do better. Yes. <laughs> I think it's a redemption arc thing. Aww. Yeah, so if he if he wanted Beckett to be explicitly bisexual but he didn't know how to write that. Mm. You hire a bisexual writer. Right. right. I know this is a crazy idea. Also, like, I don't want to sound crazy here, but I hear that bisexuals can write about many topics. <laughs> I know. You, you find yourself queer writers who can also do science fiction and also do They comedy. exist. They're out there. There are so many out them. there. But it's just, yeah. Mm. So, and it's a, like, it's it's great. It's great that he can say, I'm not the person to write that story. Like, mm. that, the, you know, con- this is the whole, like, own voices yeah. concept. But if he's in charge and he doesn't feel up to it or feel comfortable with then... writing that story from his perspective, 
then you you make it happen. Like you don't say, well, so that's so then we decided not to do it. Like no, I don't think I even decided. I just think they forgot to make it explicit and writing is hard and things can get forgotten but Mm. again this is why you have a diverse enough writer's room that there are people in there who can say oh hey we haven't made this clear i know from my own experience how to do it in a natural way and And that's the thing is that so i absolutely read beckett and for the record raffi as queer before it was in any way suggested by a writer or an interview or an episode. Mm. It it was the way that they interacted with women. Right. It didn't feel like wink, wink at the camera stuff, like the mirror universe in Deep Space Nine. No, it felt like integral and natural parts of their characters. Yeah. It felt like this person is is acting in a certain way that is recognizable that i'm getting all the signals right of this is this is a not this is not a platonic or friendship or familial relationship there's something else here right being teased out and that was obvious to me in both raffi and beckett mariner and i remember we talked about Raffi very early on no not early on but at that point where she calls her old friend and we were like right. mm, girlfriends <laughs> yeah. and it's and it's in the same way where they they have these old friends who are women and it's like yeah that wasn't just my roommate yeah <laughs> that was I had a relationship with that person like there is it was more because we're women and we have friends and we know what that right. looks like whereas I think with a, yeah. lot of, a lot of media written by men they kind of maybe don't know what female friendship looks like. And so, like, they end up writing what is more romantic than platonic out of ignorance. What an interesting idea. I mean, that's another, this is another reason why you should have more women in in your writing room. Right. Why you should have, if, like, if you're going to have black leads, black women leads, make sure you have black women in the writer's room because... You, it's not even a question of like own voices or not own voices, like it's just a matter it's, of experience. It's, it's not your yeah. It's not your experience. You don't know. You have not lived that. Yeah, I know without a doubt there are men out there who write amazing female friendship, but they don't seem to be in the majority. And because media is so dominated by men who don't know what female friendship looks like, then. It's, it becomes a self-perpetuating problem. And so, yeah, I got queer vibes. I got romantic vibes between Mariner and Raffi and their old friends. And also I would totally mm-hmm. ship the two of them together. But, <laughs> oh, wow. I, I, sorry, I just need to... Yeah, but yeah, so it's one of those, mm-hmm. Is was it, was it the writers? Was it the actors? Was it the direction? Like, yeah. I mean, for in terms of Raffi and Seven, mm. both of the actresses have come out and said, look, we were playing this from the beginning. <laughs> like, and they're the ones who put it in the finale. Right. They're like, hey, we, you know, we're going to do this. So there was, you know, from the point of view of the person embodying that character, 
that's what it was. Right, and the other inspiration was a photo that Jonathan Del Arco took of them at a premiere where they're cuddly and they, you know, it could be a couple's photo. And right. it's interesting to me that he, as a gay man, took that picture. And yeah, then the writers right. went, and, oh. And right, would a straight man have that eye? Yeah, yeah. And obviously I am not suggesting for a moment that Jerry Ryan and Michelle Hurd are really a couple. Like, let's, let's not get ridiculous. But obviously they had a connection that they can... Like, like any actors playing a relationship, they had a connection and a chemistry that they could transform. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me, since we're talking about Raffi, to contrast Mike McMahon's response with Michael Chabon's. And Ooh. he yeah. says, he's asked about the lack of explicitly queer characters in Picard, and he says, well, the way that people are, people's identity is constructed with sexuality <laughs> as a component of it, in my experience, it emerges in a much more organic way and not like wearing a T-shirt that says, you know, queer power. Okay, how many times have you met a person who... <laughs> Maybe they seem a bit queer because of their hair colour or the clothes that they're wearing, and then you look and they have, like, a rainbow flag pin or, you know, something like yeah. that, some kind of signifier. I don't know how many gay people Chabon knows, but I assume that his queer friends are all people of his age and background and social class. Yeah, so this is another one of those, like, generational and, yeah. and just a, a different point of view like Michael Chabon is just he's not he does not represent me (laughs) in in any way and so (laughs) like he's just not going to he's like we get to know these characters the way we get to know real people and I'm like oh okay so you hear them at brunch talking about the queer film festival they're organizing cool and also okay boomer that like that sentence really rose me the wrong way because it's sort of like are queer people not real? Like, what, what? are you suggesting here? <laughs> that that real people are one way and queer people pretend to be real people really well? Like, it's just, it's, I don't, that's not what he meant. I can, no, I can no, tell that that's no. not what he meant, but it is what he said. And so, because he's a writer, he's right, he's like giving the characters lines to say. It's concerning. And also, be, he, like, it's very clear from this interview that he does not think of the fictional characters that he write, uh, writes as having any connection with real people at all. Like, he's like, oh, I was really surprised that people cared when Hugh died and that they were opposed to the idea of any fictional character dying. And I'm like... <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it's like, it's not just that they care, Michael. It's that... Here is a ma- here is a character who has been an allegory for AIDS implicitly for many decades and explicitly in your own work and he's <sighs> killed violently by someone who hates his existence. Obviously Chabon and I we're not bros. Uh no. Variety went on to say uh it was a big deal on discovery that Stamets <laughs> is is gay and there was a certain star trek subset of trek fandom that was excited about seeing that perpetuate on picard and chabon i'm really enjoying my chabon voice can i keep going he says please do we're doing it in a different way we're doing it in an organic way dash what feels organic to me (laughs) okay so there are so many things wrong michael chabon is not the arbiter of what is organic 
particularly as a straight man writing about and discussing queerness. Yeah. And also, you know, not to go back to our Chabon bashing, but they, uh, it, they, I really think that this is another example of how he just shouldn't be writing television. Right. He should stick with his novels. Because yeah, I agree. Un- when you write a novel, you put out the finished product into mm-hmm. the world and people read it whenever they, you know, on their own time. Mm. And then they might, you know, bring it back to you and talk to you about it. But in that situation, yeah, like you, it's a very different situation of I'm reading someone and this character that I'm really connected to dies. Like, absolutely, mm. you can still have a very emotional connection to that. But you're reading it, you can put the book down, you can like have some tea, you can color your cat, you can cry about it, you can be like, I'm, and then you can come back to the story when you're ready. Yeah. And yeah, you can do that with TV with a pause button, but it's a very different experience. It's a very different experience. And it's also, I have done research about this and television is the, the changing point of the idea of parasocial relationships. And there was another changing point when social media made real people, famous people, mm-hmm. like more easily accessible. Yes. There is like sociological shift toward I'm watching this person, this character on TV in my living room. I know them. Like yes. it's it's just the way because you have that same like I even though it's recorded in a completely different thing. You still have like this idea of eye contact, this idea of a shared body language of mm, subtext mm. that's not being said or read on the page. We had the WandaVision finale last night. I wasn't completely satisfied, but I liked it a lot. And I realized that I connect with Wanda because I also have a lot of feelings about dead fictional characters. So, you know, that, that, that feeling of these people on television... Yeah are real. WandaVision is such a product of its time. Like, it Mm. was the exact thing we needed in January 2021. Right. That's why it was so popular, is because everyone was like, yeah, I feel this. (laughs) I I understand this concept. This concept of my life is completely different, and I want to control every aspect of it, Mm. and I'm stuck and I'm going to escape into my fantasy and I'm going to drag everybody into it and it's not going to work and I'm not going to be able to deal with it. Like everything that Wanda went through is what I went through, you know, with this whole quarantine situation and I'm still going through. And so it was, I, you know, I was already, already to, like I've been waiting for WandaVision for 20 years. Yes. But I... I completely understand why it was such a cultural phenomenon. Right. I never cared about Wanda until now, uh, uh, until the, the first few episodes of WandaVision. And I really think that if you're writing for television, you have to, on some level, treat your characters as real people. And you as don't people. Become, yeah, and you don't want to get completely wanky about it, but if they're not at least a little bit real to you, how will they be real to the audience? And I think Chabon has the advantage here of coming into an established universe and we're all Mm -hmm. very much prepared to like and love these people. But he 
is coming at his characters from a different perspective. And it's not even just that, it's that he's wholly unsympathetic to a different point of view. And I think I think that's the case when yeah. he speaks about Hugh's death, and I think that's the case when he talks about the lack of queerness in, in this series. Yeah. As much as he, everything I've I've seen and heard from him is that he was thrilled to get this job. So he was yeah. so excited. He's a massive Trekkie. To, he's a massive Trekkie. And so he was like, you know, he gets to have canonical fan fiction and like it's a dream right yeah. and and i don't want to take that away from him but he would he did not have the tools he just doesn't no. he's famous in a different way he's skilled in a different way it's no. just not writing original work is different from writing fan fiction and it's different from writing tie-in fiction and it's different again mm-hmm. from writing television I mean, I assume I've only done two of these things. He was many, he was many, uh, you know, layers away from from where he needed to be. And I'm not saying that, oh, a novelist can't possibly write a television series. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying Absolutely that... Absolutely not. The way that he seems to tell stories, the way yes. that he is used to telling stories, is not the way that... I think Picard should have been told. No, and also I think some of my best, my favourite TV shows from the last couple of years have been written by people who started, by women, who started out as playwrights. And that is maybe where Chabon should have looked to begin yeah. his script writing career. Because I have no doubt that he is a tremendously talented man and that he went into this with the best will in the world. But just the way he wrote Picard and the way he's so dismissive of the need for representation and you know he is going to be the gatekeeper of what is organic queerness yeah organic single origin yeah and then like setting aside all of his problems in that just the whole like okay so we're doing it in a different way is so condescending i cannot even like begin to it's just ew ew no like, how dare you, sir? <laughs> These are people that are literally on the same level as you. And, like, they're your peers. And you are basically saying, oh, no, we're not going to do it that way. <laughs> yes. And especially since a lot of the writers on Picard were the same people who were working on yeah. Discovery. <laughs> it's just, ugh. It's like, have some respect. Yeah. But, yeah. He doesn't. He de- Like, that's the, I think that that's what it comes down to, is that he is a novelist. Mm-hmm. Who has written? He hasn't. Um, he hasn't co-written anything. You know, no, he, it's not no. a, like he is. He is very used to writing. You know, uh, I'm going to compare him to Aaron Sorkin. No, I think that's someone a very who fair comparison. Famously refuses to let other people write his work. Like he is like, I am going to write every word that is said mm. on this show, and that you know if there is a difference between what the first four seasons of the west wing are and the let the last three seasons are because sorkin left like yeah there is but there's so much more variety in the last three seasons it's so much more alive it's not the same story over and over yes yes (laughs) my unpopular opinion is that the west wing gets good after sorkin leaves yeah yeah, I mean, same. I, I, I have like I didn't I like didn't watch the West Wing for a long time. I was very mm. opposed to it. 
when people tell when a hundred people tell me to watch something, I get really like, Ugh. no, um, no, but I same. did finally watch it all. And everyone was like, still to this day, people were like, you know, give, give it a pass after, you know, in the, in the later years. And I was like, what are you talking about? It gets so much better. When right. Right. And people not just who know Jason how to write Isaac television and who like care about more than one thing mm-hmm. <laughs> like, are, are doing, it's just, I, yeah. So Michael Chabon seems like an, an Aaron Sorkin where he does one thing really well. And I'm not saying like Aaron Sorkin has his place and there are plenty of things that when Aaron Sorkin does, there are, uh, enjoyable that are that are good that mm. are brilliant even but he, he should not be in charge of four seasons of television and uh he has to learn to to co-write he has to learn to give up control and i feel like like this comment these comments from michael chabon and his whole like i, I know that everybody loved how he was on instagram and answering all the the questions but I felt like that to me felt like this sort of weird, I'm going to tell you how to feel about the thing that I wrote. No, no. I like chat. I, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't into it. And it really came off as like, if you, ha- if you, if you're upset about Hugh dying, well, let me explain to you why you shouldn't be. Right. Right. <laughs> it was just a really awkward and strange situation. And I think, Maybe this is an unpopular stance, but I think that if you're a writer, you need to have some level of humility in terms of being able to set your ego aside and put your mind and soul into another person for a while. Otherwise, you're just going to write the same character over and over again. Sorkin. But... <laughs> and Whedon. Yes, yes. <laughs> We're going to throw out... <laughs> But also you need to be able to understand and empathise where your audience is coming from, especially in television. And absolutely, you don't want to get sucked into listening to the mob and the release the Snyder Cut crowd and all of that. But you do need to have empathy for the people who for whom your story has meaning even if you then choose to still tell your own story in your own way. I absolutely, I'm, you know, all the people who are upset with the WandaVision finale because it didn't end the way they wanted it to, like the way their theory right, like with a <laughs> would have Strange, ended. With a Doctor Strange like, cameo and yeah. all of that, yeah. Yeah, so I, would, I never want to put those people in power in any way. I don't want them to feel empowered. I want them to understand that, like, there are plenty of things that happen. I can tell you, the mm-hmm. entirety of 2019 was a parade of all of my fandoms and stories just saying, yeah, we don't care about you, Annika. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever mm-hmm. your point of view is, we're going to do the opposite. Right. So, and and that was, like, upsetting to me, and I'm still not over it, you know, two years later. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm still mm-hmm. sad. But it's also, like, I am an adult enough, I guess, to say I, that it doesn't make that bad it doesn't make that fiction bad it doesn't make that fiction wrong or like i can't be angry with the writers or the directors or any of the people who worked on something because they made a different choice than i wanted them to right like we did not like season two of discovery and we were angry and we still are angry and sad that they killed cat but we're not harassing the writers yeah 
you shouldn't let uh, your audience dictate what you're going to do. Right. But you do have to acknowledge that the audience exists and that I would hope you want your audience to like what you're giving them. Like, right. There is a relationship there, even if yeah. it's if it's not like I'm writing for you. It, there's still a relationship. I found it really interesting that the sh the people behind WandaVision were saying, you know, a lot of people are going to be disappointed by the finale. And I thought it was sad that they felt they had to do that because they probably yeah. expected some level of harassment and abuse if the finale didn't go <laughs> some, pe some people's way. Yeah. But I also think that that came from a position of understanding how engaged people were in the story. And likewise, the series Dickinson just finished on Apple TV. I highly recommend it. I know Apple TV is a ridiculous streaming service, but it's very cheap. So, like, sign up, watch both seasons of Dickinson and also Ted Lasso. And it comes free with most things. For All Mankind? Yes. And we're about to watch the Morning Show season. are also oh, good. Yeah. yeah. Like... Yeah, like Apple TV so. is really interesting because they don't have a very <laughs> big catalogue, but what they do have is consistent quality. Mm. But yeah, I I am I do have it for free. Yeah, You're right. Same because it came with my cell plan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally worth it though. Like I would pay money a couple of times a year just to catch up on what they've been putting out. Season two of Dickinson was not very popular with a section of fandom because the season one, the first season was very much about Emily's romantic love for her friend Sue, uh, her mm -hmm. friend, her girlfriend, her lover, and their relationship in season two is much more complicated and there's a lot of resentment and it really wasn't a simple love story. And mm. again, the showrunner was very much engaged with fandom and going, this is the story that I'm telling and this is why I'm telling it. And so while I, while I understand people's disappointment that it's not just Emily and Sue making out all the time, there is a purpose to the story that I'm telling. Mm -hmm. And also, like, if you read Wikipedia, you know that Emily and Sue do not get married and live happily ever after. So I don't completely yeah. understand why people are complaining. <laughs> That's but... one of those. These are these are real people and so there's a, a another level of... You can't right, really have right. exactly what you want because there's an there's a story. <laughs> it already happened. Mm. And Dickinson also raises sort of what I think is the last point about the problem with bisexuality in Star Trek and with any media in that a lot of fans don't really like it. Like people mm. were very angry that Emily and Sue had relationships with men as well as each other. And I was complaining I a couple of episodes ago about the tendency in fandom to read a character as gay or lesbian instead of bisexual when we know that they've had relationships with members right. of the opposite sex. Yeah, that is definitely a girdle. Mm. But that's also the argument. Like, that's why we need more of it Absolutely. and better representation. Like, <laughs> if, if Buffy had used the word bisexual to describe Willow back in the early 2000s, maybe this wouldn't be a problem now. Like, there is right, this right. weird refusal of many, many, many media to use the word bisexual to describe its characters who have relationships with multiple genders, mm -hmm. and it becomes a self-perpetuating problem. Which is weird. And that, and that's, you know, that's, again, you know, goes back to the whole cultural concept of bisexuality and yeah. pansexuality and how and even i mean recently like a week or two ago that whole 
pearl-clutching event of there are more bisexuals and non-binary people in, you know, under 20 or something than there were 10 years ago. Oh my god, like, how terrible. More know, queer people. The worst possible thing has happened. And it's just, if, if we just accepted <laughs> that mm -hmm. these identities exist as identities and are you know, are equal to to straight or gay, like that's that's it. That's the that's the answer. That's that's all you you need right. to understand. And like... also your relationship does not have to be set in stone. And I just complained about the refusal of to use the word bisexual in Buffy, but you know, people do realise that they have lived lived their lives one way and maybe they would be happier as another with another identity or so, you know, just because your your identity changes doesn't make it wrong or right. fake. And that's the whole, like, this thing. People are upset that there are more words to describe things. Like, that's yes. what people are really upset at. They're actually angry that a 15-year-old knows the difference <laughs> between someone who is cis, trans, and non-binary and someone who is straight, gay, and bisexual. Right. Like... They don't want there to be all those little check boxes, and it's like, sorry. And I do think it's a case of, oh my god, the kids today are leaving, are advancing and leaving us behind, and what if I'm doing it yeah. wrong, and that sort of fear. Like it was only this week that I discovered, I, I found a definition of demisexuality that I understood. So I get it, but there is no cause to go and this. This was all a big transphobic beat up, ultimately, wasn't it? Oh my god, we're losing the lesbians, and. <laughs> Like, I, I promise, lesbians are not an endangered species. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the, you know, circling back to the beginning with Philippa saying pansexual, Hugh and Paul very specifically said, no, we're gay. Right. Like, and and more power to that too. Like, that's also important in that and, and conversation. And that was the first time the word gay was used in Star Trek, and... People were upset, and I even saw Paul Hugh Shippers saying that that word is so 20th, 21st century. Maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe that's not the word they would use. You know what? Maybe it's not. Language changes. This is a right. series made in the 2020s, the 2010s. Right. You, like, I, I hate to break it to anybody who's, like, upset about continuity of Star Trek. Mm. It is almost 55 years old and things change like the cultural moments of mm. the 1960s the 1980s the 1990s and the early 2000s and the 20s like whatever we're in now late teens 2000s mm. there were shifts there there were there's a shift from last year to this year like right. as visible cultural shift in understanding of language, mm -hmm. understanding of gender, understanding of all of these, you know, of storytelling and the quote unquote organic ways. Like, yeah, all of that is changing constantly. And you cannot like, you can't, yeah, Star Trek is about, like the original series is about the 23rd century, but it was written and in that way takes place in 
1967. Right, like, and this brings us back to our conversation the other week about Shatner versus Kirk's bisexuality. And no, no, Kirk could not have been depicted as a bisexual man in in the 1960s. It just wouldn't have been allowed to happen. Right. They, they barely got an interracial kiss through. But now... In 2021, you know, there's a new Star Trek movie being prepared by one of the writers of Terra Firma Part 2. A woman of colour is writing a Star Trek movie. I'm very excited. Um, (laughs) And it would be weird if that film had no queer people whatsoever. Right. It would not be unsurprising, but weird. No offence to William Shatner, but watching Captain Kirk, his performance as Captain Kirk with the lens of someone in 2021 Mm. you are allowed to say he's bisexual right again it's not canon it's not textual but it like that your your experience of stories also changes i will watch an episode of voyager or next generation like those are the star treks that I watched as I was growing up, like Mm. literally childhood to college. And I will have a different experience of them now as an adult, like a full adult, (laughs) an old lady. So Um, old. I I have a different connection. I have a different connection to characters. It's like the things that, that mattered to me as I was coming of age, you know, you I loved Seven and Picard so much because I connected so strongly yes. to Seven in Voyager. And now here I had the adult version of Seven. It was like, she's still going to be my map. It was like, here is this character who is still dealing with her trauma and and hurting from it and angry about it. And you're allowed to feel that too, Annika, you know? So... It's just your experience changes. The like the the text remains the same, but our experience, both as an audience, as a new audience, and as the same audience, both of those yeah. will change over time. Exactly, exactly. And you know, there was a post on Tumblr just just yesterday I saw it was like gifts from the original series where you could. It was like proof that James Kirk is bisexual, uh, and you know what? totally is (laughs) right exactly and that's why once it is you know to give Shabon a little credit tiny bit of credit a fraction (laughs) once it's out in the world Mm. and we are bringing our experience to watching it and you know what we what we pay attention to will be completely different from what he paid attention to when he was writing it right just because we're different people not because of any gender or sexuality or experience thing just we are not the same person so we are going to have a different perception of what is happening and we're going to pay attention to what matters to us right we paid attention to rafi and her connection with this woman because we cared about Rafi and and yeah that's what's organic yes (laughs) like that you know that's that's where organic comes in is that my experience as a person watching this show watching this hour of a story unfold is mine and it's my personal thing and I get to have my own headcanons about it and again all of that is valid 
headcanons are always valid. They're not canon, but they're valid. Again, tiny bit of credit in that I, I, I think he, what he means is that he's going to tell the story and we are going to bring our own experience to it. I think that is putting it very generously, but yes. <laughs> but the problem is that his experience, again, he doesn't represent me in any way. Nothing about Michael Chabon is true to me. Annika, I thought you were a middle-aged Jewish man who grew up in California and went to Berkeley. <laughs> like, I mean, and, and there's nothing wrong with his identity or his, like it's he doesn't have to be me in order for me to care about what he's writing no like, no the problem is just that he won't step out of his identity right exactly is that he's others. not he's he has a very he has like a telescopic lens of mm. i am i uh, this is this is the this is the story i'm telling and that's it that's what matters yes. and you know you guys add whatever you want but that's not what no it's not what i'm doing it's not what i'm telling right thank you for listening to antimatter pod you can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com including links to our social media and credits for our theme music you can also follow us on twitter at at antimatterpod and on facebook by searching antimatterpod if you like us leave a review on apple podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts the more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us in two weeks when we'll be discussing IMDb and ratings. Woo! Numbers. We've established with that a guest. I can't... With a guest yes, who can yes. explain it to us. Yeah, because we know that Antimatter Pod can't do maths. <laughs>